0: Good morning. Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. Good morning, guests. Good morning, those who don't know Jesus yet. We pray that you do soon. So, are you ready for more encouragement in Christ this morning? Yes. A little more than a month ago, uh, we talked about the exceeding worth of a believer's new birth certificate, if you remember. Do you remember where to find it in your Bible? 1 Peter 1. So, how are we doing remembering who we truly are and cannot help but be as children of God, no matter what? How goes the battle against spiritual amnesia under fire? Let's open to 1 Peter 1 and look at the greeting again. It's page uh, 1014 in your pew Bible. Let's look at those verses again. So, Once you get your Bible ready, let's just follow along in your Bible and listen close, and we'll walk through verses 1 and 2 again as they apply to us. 1 Peter 1, 1 and 2. Here we are, together, here and now, much like Christians there and then in Asia Minor, circa 63 A.D., chosen by God, surprised by sometimes fierce ostracism, fearing more severe persecution for what we believe. The elect of God in exile from our true home, watching storm clouds of sufferings to come as they boil on the horizon. Strangers scattered together in a strategic place of witness to the great and good King of Kings who shall soon return. Confident together in the timeless foreknowledge and love of God the Father, whatever our circumstances, set apart together in the sanctification of the Holy Spirit for God himself, for holy service and for his holy pleasure, for obedience of faith in everlasting love to Christ, whatever the cost, as we endure the twisted wrath of men, irreversibly united together with Jesus through his sprinkled blood, shed for us, One dark day on a cruel cross. Dearly beloved disciple of Christ, lift your head. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. For God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Romans 5, 8 and 9. Only in Christ will you find the deep peace of knowing you're justified by His blood. Forever in right standing with God, only in union with Him, reconciled and at one with Him in perfect peace, will you find an invincible identity in Christ, immune to spiritual amnesia under fire as a reborn child of God with a living hope. Hearing the voice of Christ as he said to Peter and the disciples, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Luke 12, 4 and 5. Safe now in Christ from the wrath of God and fearing not the wrath of men and loving the righteous one who gave his all to receive all authority in heaven and on earth, we eagerly anticipate our imperishable inheritance with Jesus and all that is his. Hopefully this brings to mind some of the things we talked about that Sunday. Hopefully this rings true for you. Because a hard question arises from deep contemplation of Peter's greeting. Doesn't it? Just how invincible is my own identity in Christ? Now as you think about that, let me remind you. The Gospels, the book of Acts, Paul's letter to the Galatians, all these tell the story of Peter's growth in faith. From his fearful courtyard denial of Christ to his arrest with John for healing a lame beggar and teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And the bold stand these brothers made against Annas the high priest, and Caiaphas, and all who were of the high priestly family. Those men orchestrated the murder of Christ, but Peter stood his gospel ground. Those men called our brothers and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Look again at 1 Peter 1, 1 and 2, and just listen again. Peter and John had grown to know who we all truly are as elect children of God. Where we are and why, and where and with whom we truly belong. They knew who brought us, and bought us our new birth certificates in Christ so that we need not fear men like Annas, Caiaphas, and Pilate who merely kill the body because after that, there's nothing more they can do. Peter understood that and believed that with every fiber of his being and later gave his life on a cross for Jesus. And only a spirit-filled disciple who knows exactly who he is in Christ, holds fast under fire like Peter did. This is the conquering power of the gospel. The true gospel Peter grew up into and lived out before the watching world. So, have we grown ready to give our lives for Jesus too, knowing only that we can't be cast into hell? Or did Peter have something more Something certain and holy that fueled a steadfast hope for a glory beyond this life. Peter's about to teach us that only a disciple who has grown to be certain of all the Lord promises in Christ holds fast under fire with resolute expectation. Our subject this morning is the steadfast anticipation of a disciple's immortal hope. Look again at 1 Peter Let's pray, and then we'll begin. Father, I confess to you and to everyone here that I am not at all up to the task of explaining the vast realities of your loving kindness to us here in this text. Please help us understand and take hold of your great promises to us. Help us to know them as absolute certainties. And help us, therefore, to walk in the Spirit by the power of Christ's resurrection. Help us to live holy lives, devoted to the Lord Jesus, who died and rose again on our behalf, to make the eternal glories we're about to see more real for us than worldly things that capture our attention in this passing age. In Jesus' power and in his name, amen. 1 Peter 1, verse 3. Peter shows us the first gospel certainty that nurtures a disciple's immortal hope. A trusting disciple is always blessing upwardly. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be certain of this. God is worthy of our joyful daily blessing. The Greek word for blessed here is used only of God in Scripture and never of men. It indicates that God alone is intrinsically worthy of blessing and praise, and it's used only seven times in the New Testament. Paul uses it five times, Peter just this once, and Luke cites the blessing of Zechariah. You may remember that the angel Gabriel stopped up Zechariah's mouth for doubting God's promise that his wife Elizabeth would give birth to the prophesied forerunner of Christ because they were both way beyond childbearing age. So when Elizabeth gave birth, Zechariah at last followed through in faith by naming the child John, as John had commanded. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, Blessing God. And Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be The Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. This horn of salvation, or strength of deliverance, indicated by the birth of John the Baptist, is the one conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of Mary, our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is entitled to receive blessing and adoration from all men and women. Because only the Most High God, infinite in being and perfection, is inherently praiseworthy as our Creator, regardless of His gifts to us. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So all people without excuse. Romans 1.20 Well how much more then should we who are blessed in Christ open our mouths and loose our tongues with Zechariah? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember Peter's writing to believing Jews and converted pagans in Asia Minor whose lifestyles are being drastically downgraded because their families, their friends, local governments oppose the gospel. Yet Peter bathes his encouragement for these struggling believers in enthusiastic blessing to God. Think now of your own reactions when more news of opposition to Christians comes across your newsfeed, Or how might we respond if one of us lost a job or got arrested for proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead? Would we respond by fearing inwardly, grumbling habitually, or by blessing upwardly? If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but Praise God. Bless God that you bear that name. 1 Peter four, fourteen through 16. A disciple's immortal hope is cultivated by joyfully, daily, enthusiastically blessing God. Even as we're blessed to suffer in His name. Which brings us to a pair of gospel certainties that fortify a disciple's immortal hope. But first... Make a note in your journal and ask yourself, in what ways am I enthusiastically blessing God these days, regardless of my circumstances? Our next gospel, certainties. A resolute disciple is certain he is receiving mercy, reborn miraculously. Look again at verse 3. According to God's great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Until God caused me to be born again, the Bible meant almost nothing to me. But when the Spirit opened my mind to the truth of the Word of God through the Gospel, the familiar old arrogance and hopelessness born of Satan gave way. The one bright hope stabbed the first tiny holes of Christ's light through the thick veil of my sin's long darkness. And the seemingly nonsensical realities of life itself were suddenly cast in the searing light of God's holiness. Fallen man, holy God. Foul sin, perfect righteousness, self-service, and genuine love. Death, life, eternal misery, eternal glory. All these came clear with the suddenly marvelous promise and necessity of holy justice and a final reckoning. The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the forefathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Exodus 34, 6, and 7. Now before faith came, like many others in this room, I was held captive to a law of my own making. Imprisoned in good-looking sins acceptable to those whose admiration I craved, presentable even in rare visits to church, hiding all the more shameful, wretched pleasures in the darkest dungeons of a dark heart in a hellbound and hopeless soul until the coming faith was revealed and that is to say until I was born again a miracle of the sovereign God whose justice must prevail and whose great mercy is new now every morning suddenly I couldn't unsee the stubborn, glorious fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Or, God's great agony of priceless mercy poured forth in the blood of Christ's cross as the only possible way for us. I say this not to be insensitive, but to be clear and true to God's righteous dealing with man's unholy rebellion. If you're just physically alive, However bad life might seem, you're receiving mercy right now, at least for now. But if you're spiritually alive in Christ, you're receiving God's great mercy right now in the new birth to eternal life. So that you might bless God daily, realizing that you and I had nothing to do with our new birth, except the sinning. Because according to God's great mercy, He has caused us to be born again. Listen to Jesus. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one, of, one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. As the wind blows where it wishes, so the Holy Spirit regenerates souls according to God's great mercy upon whom He wills. And so it is with everyone whose reborn eyes can't unsee the glorious fact of Christ the crucified and risen King. Though doubts, clouds of despair may obscure for a time, born-again eyes can't unsee the kingdom of God. One born of water, made clean by God from all uncleannesses and from all idols in the blood of Christ, and born of the Spirit, regenerated by God, cannot fail to enter the kingdom of God. But to see and hear, you must be brought to look and listen if you are to be reborn to believe and receive Jesus. The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, You will be saved, Romans 10, 8, and 9. In Christ alone, we receive God's great mercy to eternal life, as Peter writes just down the page, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. A disciple's immortal hope is fortified by daily, receiving God's great mercy, persistently thrilled that he's been reborn miraculously. So make a note to ask yourself later, how thrilled am I to be miraculously reborn in Christ to receive God's great mercy every minute of every day? Which brings us to another pair of gospel certainties that ignite a disciple's immortal hope. A tenacious disciple is always resurrected powerfully, Hoping zealously. One more deeply appreciative look at verse 3. God the Father has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The Greek word for through or by, in some translations here, is dia, And it means by the instrumentality of, by reason of, because of. Yes, Christ's resurrection confirms... The Father's acceptance of the Son's pure sacrifice in our stead for our justification. But the good news simply cannot be apart from our mystical union with Christ in his death and resurrection. The resurrection of Christ with us is the essential instrument of our rebirth to eternal life. And this is the heartbeat of Christianity. Paul beats the drum of this gospel reality all over the place in his letters to suffering Christians. God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5. Miraculously reborn from lifelong spiritual death to new spiritual life through Christ's resurrection with new minds and hearts regenerated in Christ to display the unquestioning trust of beloved children of God. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Chad's favorite. Dead to the familiar, arrogant, hopeless old self that still protests and resists and refuses to die and just let us be. But Reborn into a new existence, indwelled by the Spirit of Christ, animated by the power of His victorious resurrection, in a new and truly loving way transformed and conforming to the merciful will of God the Father. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me, who loved me and gave himself for me. I need to read that again. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. You can't flub that verse. And the life of faith in Jesus lives ever more powerfully forward, ever more resolute in gospel certainty. Spiritual resurrection in Christ now ensures bodily resurrection for every believer then, in the last time. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Romans 6.5 Through God-implanted faith, we are crucified together with the righteous Christ as our proper sentence of death for sin is carried out. And we are resurrected together with the vindicated Christ to a living hope, a zealous confidence in the eternal life of Christ. The Greek word for hope here is elpis, meaning trust, confidence, properly, expectation of what is sure. Not a doubtful or dying and rotting hope as the world gives, but hope beyond doubt as only the risen Christ gives We are born again to a living hope because we are united to the living Christ. In Him, we have a justified hope, a resurrected hope, an ascended hope, a Spirit-filled hope, an eternal hope, vibrant confidence in the risen Christ's authority now and joyful expectation of His return in triumph to reign in glory. Meanwhile, we who are disciples in Christ, must be trained to live according to his resurrection power as Paul did. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. A disciple's immortal hope is powered by knowing Jesus and the power of his resurrection and hoping zealously after the gospel certainties he has promised. So make a note to ask yourself later, how lively is my living hope, my zealous confidence in the risen, reigning, Returning and new world ruling Christ right now. Which brings us to two more gospel certainties that energize the disciple's immortal hope. An eager disciple is certain he is an heir president presently, inheriting eternally. According to God's great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Not a stack of bills to pay or a house full of stuff to auction. Not a 1967 Corvette Stingray convertible sitting in a garage somewhere or a mansion by the golf course in Palm Springs. Not a name that will open doors in D.C. or on Wall Street or even $2.8 million kept in a trust like the Rockefeller heiress. Arianna Rockefeller is an heiress right now, presently. But one way or another, she'll lose that Rockefeller inheritance. Whatever your earthly inheritance may be, it'll perish. Because you will. And it will certainly spoil and eventually fade, even even if it's solid gold. If you look down the page, as Peter points out in this very passage... Gold perishes. But what we confidently expect in Christ is indestructible, incorruptible, and immortal. What certainly awaits us in Jesus is untainted, 100% pure, completely free of contamination from sin. But for a first century Jewish Christian like Peter, the thought of inheritance had a special meaning. Edward Clowney writes, God gave the land to Israel as an inheritance, and in the land he gave every tribe and family an inheritance with the lasting right of ownership. While they wandered in the wilderness, they were sustained by the promise of their inheritance. Like Israel in the wilderness, the New Testament people of God are aliens and pilgrims. They make their way through a world that is becoming more hostile. Yet they are not wandering beggars cast off from their possessions. They hold a sure title to the inheritance God has given them. Our hope is sure, for nothing can happen to our inheritance. The words that Peter uses to describe our unchangeable inheritance all relate to the land that was the inheritance of Israel. One Old Testament passage and one from the New will help us see the inheritance Peter longed for in the Messiah. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Remember that. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. That's in Genesis 12. Now, God later changed Abram's name to Abraham, father of a multitude of nations. Graham Goldsworthy writes God, in fact, promises Abraham that his descendants would be God's people in God's place under God's rule. This is a thread that runs all the way through Scripture. Paul picks it up in his letter to the Galatians. Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For the, if the inheritance, big word, if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs, according to the promise. That's goosebumps for me. Not by the law of Jewish inheritance or by works of obedience to the law, but by faith in the one whose legal and physical descent is from Abraham, and by faith alone in the one who obeyed the law of God perfectly, even unto death, for us, Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. 1 Corinthians one thirty, By faith in him and in his righteousness, we are made heirs. ...of the promise, which is nothing less than the kingdom of God. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The redeemed family of God in God's redeemed land under the righteous rule of our beloved brother. By his blood, eternal king of the new heavens and new earth, Jesus the just. A royal inheritance we can't lose as heirs together with Peter and the churches of Asia Minor... Heirs with the saints of all time. Heirs to the name above every name. Listen to the Lord Jesus telling the disciples. Truly, I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. An inheritance beyond anything we could ever ask or think. Kept in heaven for us. The full glory of Christ, eternally bright, ever-shining, everlastingly brilliant, in full flower of perennial youth safeguarded at the cosmic seat of all power and glory and all existence, the eternal dwelling place of God. From the moment you are reborn through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, you are already an everlasting heir or heiress presently, inheriting eternally the not yet fulfilled royal promises of God, the greatest of which is Christ himself. A disciple's immortal hope is supercharged by eagerly anticipating the gospel certainty of our indestructible inheritance safeguarded by Almighty God in heaven for us. So make another journal note. How eager is my anticipation for the glorious new world kingdom inheritance the Lord safe keeps for us as His eternal heirs Which brings us to two final gospel certainties that galvanize a disciple's immortal hope. A fearless disciple is certain he is powerfully protected and utterly saved. According to God's great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, Verse 5, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. If you have been born again to repent of sin and cast yourself upon the great mercy of God in the living Christ, God in His grace has already qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Colossians 1, 13 and 14, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins peter died with absolute confidence he was already saved by god through jesus delivered from wrath and hell and as a christ following first century jew peter rightly understood the salvation ready to be revealed in the last time our ultimate salvation fulfills god's unbreakable promise of inviolable kingdom peace for all who look to the Messiah. The royal family of God at peace from war with all enemies from within and without, free of sin, free of corruption, joyously joyously worshiping together and productively working as one glorified people remade to glorify our beloved King. Peter longs to see God's ancient kingdom promise fulfilled and restored Edenic shalom forevermore in King Jesus, our sovereign Prince of Peace, Isaiah 9. Of the increase of his government and of peace, or shalom, there shall be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now, Israel had a foretaste of shalom under Joshua's leadership. Verse 21 44, And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. And the Lord gave King David rest from all his surrounding enemies in 2 Samuel 7, and for Solomon too in 1 Kings 5. God gives rest from war that's necessary to establish shalom, peace, by the defeat of his enemies and those of his people. This will be familiar to you, I think, a lot of you. But it seems the best way to illustrate what Peter means when he places us among those who by God's power are being guarded through faith. Tough language. For a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. The word for guarded here in 1 Peter can also mean kept safe as by a military guard. At the parting of the Red Sea, the people of Israel were, by God's power, guarded through faith, for a salvation ready to be revealed when they reached the blissful shore. Just as the Lord didn't leave the people of Israel unprotected as Pharaoh approached at the Red Sea, so he guards us who are being saved for the duration of our new lifelong exodus From slavery to sin. Now, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army overtook God's people and camped at the sea. Then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. God's power in that bright, terrifying cloud lit up the night sky and kept Pharaoh at bay. And the host of Israel was guarded through faith. Now listen close. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land. And the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Now Moses admits to us that the people feared greatly and cried out to the Lord, it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And yet, they went. The people went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and their left. This really happened. And if you don't believe that, I love you, but you haven't done your homework. This happened. Imagine what it was like. Walls of water to the right and to the left, thinking, if he lets it all go, it'll crush us all under the waves. Still, they crossed, by faith, in God. And... Were saved. As the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen. Of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and their left. God's chosen people come to salvation through frightful water walls, that protect us on either side. Faith-building trials on the right and on the left, growing us and guiding us through an utterly safe way that we're not always so sure of. While the impregnable cloud pillar of Christ's righteous glory stands between us and an unholy host of enemies that seek to destroy us but have no chance. Satan and his worldwide army of demons and deluded men and women face ultimate doom and have no chance. Fears, doubts, the worries of the world will not prevail against Christ's true disciples. And any suffering we endure is under the purposeful guardianship of God. Because even death and the grave have no chance against God's glorious power to save His chosen people in Christ. Our brother Bob Wiley is with Jesus right now because of God's saving power by faith. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? This is what it means to be among those who, by God's power, are guarded through faith. Notice there's that through word again, dia, by the instrumentality of. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Next slide, I think. No. Yes, thank you. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. The essential instrument by which God delivers us from the world, the flesh, and the devil... His enemies and ours, and from His own righteous fury against our sin as former conspirators with that evil trio, is grace granted, Spirit given, God implanted faith in Jesus Christ alone. And God requires that we work out that faith as one people in Christ with all our might as we walk with Him, as He guards us on all sides through faith that He supplies and sustains and shepherds powerfully protected for an utter salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. It is finished. God's preparations are already made to fulfill the ultimate promise of the gospel. Hair trigger ready for the foreordained moment Christ returns in the twinkling of an eye to claim his prize. A disciple's immortal hope is rocket-fueled with gospel excitement to see God's ancient kingdom promise fulfilled in restored Edenic Shalom forevermore in Jesus Christ the Just. Which brings us to one final note to ask yourself later. How excited am I about Christ's return in evil eradicating power to fully realize God's promises of never-ending peace, pleasant work, joyous worship, and perfect loving oneness with God in His kingdom? Because those terrible walls of water will come crashing down in a condemning flood of righteous judgment on even unwitting enemies of God at the last time under the mighty hand of King Jesus when he comes to end all evil. So, if you're at all afraid of Christ's return, while the disciples' way is still open, Let's talk. Our purpose as disciple-makers is to point you to that way. As long as it's today, there's still time. And if your reborn heart is already spirit-set on the risen Lord Jesus as your greatest treasure, then fan the flame of that excitement with fellowship in the Word and prayer with a brother or sister in Christ. Find a mentor in Christ to walk with you and help you grow ever more certain of all the Lord promises in Christ. Together, let the word of God remix your life soundtrack to play on endless loop the ever nearer strains of the heavenly choir singing of Jesus Christ's victory for us. Exhort each other to live more powerfully forward, ever more resolute in gospel certainty that Christ is coming quickly. Stir up one another to love and good works and follow through in obedience to Christ to make new disciples. Build one another up in the steadfast anticipation of a disciple's immortal hope. And faithfully remind one another of these gospel certainties. A trusting disciple is always blessing upwardly. A resolute disciple is certain he is receiving mercy, reborn miraculously. A tenacious disciple is always resurrected spiritually, hoping zealously. An eager disciple is certain he is an heir presently, inheriting eternally. And a fearless disciple is certain he is powerfully protected and utterly saved. For Jesus' sake and for the bright glory of His kingdom, amen.